Stronger Stride podcast. You are with your host, Lydia Mackay, and I'm very excited to have you listening. Now, today is a solo episode, and as you would have seen by the episode title, we're going to be talking about ITB syndrome or iliotibial band syndrome iliotibial band dysfunction, whatever you want to call it, Um, basically lateral knee pain and what you can do about it as a runner. Now, before we get into this episode, just want to say thank you so much for being here. I am very excited to have you, as I already just said. Uh, If you're new to the podcast, welcome. We are a podcast that brings you uh, information, education, stories, chats, um, all about running. And we interview guests every second week. And then on the other weeks, it is just a solo app. So either with Soph or myself, and we just chat about whatever we feel like in relation to running. Um, And today is going to be hopefully a little bit um, more informative than some of our just random chit chats and hopefully some practical advice that you can take on board today to reduce your knee pain or reduce your risk of getting knee pain. Um, so yeah, that is that. That is what we do. Um, if you're not already following on Instagram, check us out at Stronger Stride. And if you're not in the Facebook group, add yourselves in. We've got a link on our Instagram and we also have in our Instagram a little link to a Spotify playlist. So if you're interested in uh, leveling up your run tunes, check out the Spotify playlist. Now, tell you what, I have not updated that in a while, so <laughs> I should do that. And in fact, if anyone's got any recommendations for that, then please please do. Please send me your things. Now, uh, before I get into the episode, I'm just going to give you guys a little bit of an update for anyone who's been following along um, with my hamstring situation. So very exciting things are happening. I am getting back to normal running, which is awesome. So I think five weeks ago now, five weeks and four days, three days, I did a little proximal hamstring tear and I've been a little bit out of action. Now, the good thing is I never had to have any time off running completely. I've just had to be very mindful of running with quite a short step length and increasing my cadence and not running on any heels because the proximal hamstring is under the most load on uphill running and on like sort of long stride and sprinting type running. So the last five and a bit weeks, I've been very focused on my rehab and avoiding those things and it's been frustrating but also you know it's just one of those things it's part of running having injuries also very non-running injury did it at the gym but that's my own fault Um, but anyway super stoked because I feel like I'm just finally getting back to all my things again and it's so it's just so good it's such a good feeling like I'm just like able to run on heels now, which is just so exciting. I think really the last sort of week and a half to two weeks, I've kind of been back on the heels, but being very cautious and like walking on some, running on others. Um, But this morning was like the first morning that I just didn't even think about it at all. I just like, yeah. And even like yesterday at work, even just like walking up a hill, like not at work, well at work, but like walking outside where I work and walking up this little hill, which like for the past, like, you know, four weeks, I've just been very like slow going up this little hill, like just walking. And it's not even much of a hill, but just like having to be quite conscious of like not taking too much load through that side and like walking quite smoothly and gently, 
was like, literally, I just jogged up this hill yesterday at work and I was so excited. So yeah, how good is that? Very excited. And also started at a new gym, which is fun. I've been training at Agoja in Bondi and just doing some group classes there, which has been awesome. And I just, I always do this. I like don't do any group fitness for ages. And then I go back to it and I'm like, oh, group fitness is so fun. And yeah, I just love the energy of training with a group of people. I just think it's so great. And I think Soph spoke about it in last week's episode about the benefits of group running compared to solo running. And there is something so wonderful about having the energy of a group. Like you, there's more, obviously there's the accountability aspect, but there's something about that energy that, makes you feel really good. And I think humans are social and my daily life, like pretty much all of my activities are very active. In fact, I was having this conversation with someone this morning and they were talking about like finding ways to increase their general day-to-day activity. And I was like, wow, like I uh, was thinking this in my head. I was like, I really can't relate because I I feel like I have to do the opposite. I have to think of ways to do less because I I tend to want to just do everything and more all the time. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all about, as I say, it's all about finding that balance. And, um, f- I think for me, finding activities that I can be still, which for me is like being in the ocean, diving, swimming is obviously moving, but like diving is definitely more relaxed and slow. So yeah, finding that balance of like high intensity group activities, running with people, you know, doing those things. And then also the more relaxed, slowing down activities, is good. Anyway, this is a big tangent. The whole point of all of that is I was just saying, I'm so excited to be back um, doing group fitness again uh, because it's so much fun. Like I have obviously been doing all my strength training on my own as I always do. And that will still be a part of my routine, but just, you know, sprinkling in some group classes here and there is a fun way to mix up your training. And it's just nice to have the confidence in my hamstring now that it's on the mend to be able to do that. Next week, my plan is to go to Turbo Run Club, which I'm so excited about. And I'm also going to go to Delta, which is super fun. I was going to wait another week, but I've decided that I'm feeling really good in my hamstring and I'm ready to go. And I'm just going to take it moderately. And yeah, it'd be great to start adding in some intensity to my training. So yeah, they are the hamstring updates. Uh, Hopefully, yeah, hopefully next time on the podcast, I'm just going to be telling you that that all went really well going back to training and um, everything is still cruising along well. Anyway, that is that. Enough of my injury updates. I'm going to get straight into the chat today all about ITB band friction syndrome. Now, before I talk about um, the science and the details and the anatomy and all that shizbang, I'm just going to give you my own little story about why I wanted to talk about it because ITB band syndrome or whatever you want to call it, let's just call it ITB syndrome, uh, is something that affected me for so long. Now, basically it is pain on the outside of your knee and it affects runners. Typically it affects newer runners or people who have increased their volume quite rapidly, which I'm going to explain about or chat about in detail soon, but it is something that is so common. It's one of the most common running injuries. I feel like almost every run has had it at some point and it's not fun at all. And for me, I had it for a long time and it was so frustrating. I think I had it for maybe, oh, I think five years. Yeah, I'm going to say five years, at least five years. And I don't know anyone else has had it this long. I think 
I tend to be this person who gets injuries and gets them like the longest time. Like I remember as a kid, I had severs. And if you guys know what severs is, it's essentially a growth related uh, condition or disorder, or not disorder, condition. And you get pain in your heel. And normally it can last a couple months, maybe, you know, three to six months, could be up to two years. That thing lasted for two years for me. And then uh, like I always get things at the longer side. And then what was the other one? Um, Osgood Slatters, if anyone else has had that, I had that as a kid too, and or as a teenager, I should say. And yeah, that was another one again that they say, you know, could be a couple months, could be longer, another growth related condition. And that lasted two years for me as well. So like I finally got rid of severs and then I fractured my ankle. Oh no, got rid of severs, came back, tore my hip flexor twice and then fractured my bloody ankle and then got this bloody long two years Osgood Slatters. So I feel like whenever I get injuries, I tend to get the more longer, <laughs> the longer format. Um, and so ITB was something that lasted for five years and I literally... Oh, it was so frustrating. And so that's why I want to talk about it because I just, I want runners to get the help that they deserve and to overcome their injuries. Because looking back, I did not need to have it for five years. I want to be like, oh, it was just really bad luck. Like I was just unlucky. But the reality is I just didn't get the right help. And I saw two different physios and I saw an exercise physiologist and no one really helped me. Like, I mean, they tried to help me, but it didn't fix anything. Nothing got better. I did all my sort of reading and research. This is when I was still at uni. And so I guess, yeah, I was still studying and I was doing all the things that I thought I should be doing, but I just, I I feel frustrated, like looking back. I mean, I'm not really frustrated more because I've learned so much now. And now I know that if I had it again, it just would not end up being a chronic injury because I would treat it properly. But it's crazy because like I saw people and they gave me advice and like looking back, the advice they gave me was good and true. It wasn't like they gave me anything misleading, but there's just, there were so many basic things that I would give to a runner now as a physiotherapist that I think would just totally have changed um, for me, if I'd been given that advice would just totally change how I'd handle that injury. So I guess that is my purpose behind this episode is I want you to know if you've got this injury, it does not have to become a chronic injury. Like I had for five bloody years, like you do not have to have that happen. Um, and for me, just going back to my story, I literally had it and it got really intense. Like mine was very difficult to walk and even like changing gears in the car. So it was my left knee. And just like putting the clutch in and out was so painful. Like even rolling over in bed and like getting out of bed was like, oh my gosh, trying to like get down my stairs was just a nightmare. And I just could not settle it down. And basically I had it. So I say five years and I want to say it was like intermittent for five years, but it was basically like I would run for a couple months and then I'd be in pain for like 10 months. And then I'd run for a few months and then be in pain again for like a year. And then I'd get a couple more months in a row and then it would be like six months off. So that is basically being my last like five years of running. So I'm just, yeah, it was not, well, not my last five years. That was like how many years ago? That was like three years ago. Anyway, that is that. Um, saw lots of people, did all the exercise, did all the things. I thought I was doing all the things, but I missed some really key obvious ones. All right. So let's actually get into the chat. You know, my purpose, you know, why I'm giving you this episode is because I don't want you to do the same things that I did. I don't want you to make mistakes that I did because you don't have to have this chronic all right, now, what is ITB syndrome or ITB 
whatever you want to call it, condition. Some people call it runner's knee. I feel like typically runner's knee it refers to patellofemoral pain, uh, but some people say runner's knee and they mean ITB syndrome. Uh, whatever you want to call it, ITB. So ITB typically or used to be known as a friction syndrome, but what we actually know now is it is a more of a compression type syndrome. ITB stands for iliotibial band. Some people say ITB band, but that's just like saying iliotibial band band, which I always find funny. But I also like, I have definitely said ITB band before because sometimes it just sounds better. Uh, But more or less, it is this thick band of fascia on the outside of your leg and it starts right up at your hip and it goes all the way down to just below your knee. So Uh, It's this really firm, thick bit of tissue. And if you sort of put your hand on the side of your thigh, like I'm doing now, which you can't see, uh, and you can sort of like, you can feel it. Like if you, I guess, put your hand sort of middle of your thigh, a little bit closer towards your knee and you roll down the side, you should feel like you've got that soft-ish bit of muscle or if you've got really strong muscle, maybe it's not soft. But if you're sitting down, your muscle should be relaxed. And then if you roll your hands to the side, you should sort of get to a firm part, which if you sort of push your hands on, it's almost a little bit springy and bouncy. Um, And that's your IT bend or your ITB bend. (laughs) And yeah, it's fascia. So it's really thick and strong and it is meant to be like that. I think sometimes people say, oh, mine's really tight. Like it's super tight and stiff, but that's actually a really good thing. Similar to like your Achilles, it's designed to store and release energy. So we want it to be quite thick and strong and and tight essentially. So that's its role. It actually resists um, forces in the frontal plane. So it helps to resist and maintain our normal knee position, particularly when we have um, the forces of running applied to ourselves. So when we think about our knee position, um, it helps to stop it from getting pushed too far out to the side. So that's called a varus force. So it keeps it in the right position. Um, and yeah, storing and releasing energy. So it helps sort of propel us forward or not propel us forward, maintain that knee position, store energy and release energy. So it allows us to run uh, and it actually gets loaded most when we run downhill, which is quite interesting. And further on that, from heel strike to mid stance is the most point of load for that IT band. So when you think about that position, it's sort of that like 10 to 20 degrees of knee flexion is that most load of that IT band. So not really at that end range. So typically you're not going to get pain when your knee is super flexed or your heel is right up towards your bottom or even when it's completely straightened or even sort of, you know, like around that 90 degree point. But that first, you know, 10 to 20 degrees of flexion from when we strike the ground, initial contact or heel strike or wherever you strike into that mid stance is when it's going to be at its most um, stress or most load. Just going back uh, to touch on the anatomy again. So as I said, it starts at your hip and goes down to your knee-ish. So it actually gets fed uh, by a few different parts of our fascia. So our glutes get fed in there and another thing called our TFL or our tensor fascia lata, which it sounds like some fancy drink, but it is basically a muscle which sits sort of on the front slash slightly to the side of our hip and it helps with hip flexion. And that muscle feeds down to the side of our hip and then we've got our glutes which feed down and we sort of get to our greater trochanter, which is on the side of our femur, side of our thigh bone. And then it all just becomes this one thick IT band which goes all the way down to our tibia. So IT band, iliotibial 
inserts on our tibia and it inserts at this place called our Gertie's tubercle, which is like this little bony spot <laughs> on, um, I'm laughing for no real reason. I just feel like Gertie's tubercle sounds like, I don't know, it just sounds kind of like something that you could giggle at, but it's just this little bony spot on the side of our tibia and it just sort of sits there on the front slash to the side of our tibia, um, just below our knee joint, basically. Anyway, that is where it is. Um, and hopefully you can get a bit of an idea and you can sort of feel down the side of your leg to imagine where that is. Now, what I said at the start is they used to call it ITB friction syndrome. And what they used to think and believe in the research is that uh, the IT band was rubbing against the side of our knee, sort of around that Gertie's tubercle area or like just above where it inserts. The belief was that it would sort of rub around and you'd almost have this sort of like friction type situation where you're um, irritating structures underneath the IT band. And there, you know, there is a bursa around there and the belief was that that bursa was getting irritated. But what we know now in the literature is that it's actually just more of a compressive type injury and an overuse type injury. So, I mean, the overuse was always a part of it. We know that uh, pretty much every running injury is an overuse slash overload type injury. But with this one, it's a type of compressive injury. So essentially uh, what we know is that IT band, we want it to be thick and tight and quite strong. And we don't want it to be sort of sloft, soft and floppy. But when we have this overuse type condition, it's almost like we're just getting a bit too much compression through the side and we are sensitizing those structures underneath that band where it's really compressive. So essentially you've just got this highly sensitized tissue underneath and I believe that it's it's sensitized adipose tissue, so like fatty tissue underneath there, which is becoming irritated. Um, but I imagine that the, you know, as time goes on, we might have a better understanding in the research about exactly what structure has been sensitized. Uh, My understanding is that uh, there's, you know, been multiple sort of different trains of thought of exactly what is sensitized, but we don't believe it to be the bursa anymore, nor do we believe it to be a friction type syndrome, more just the fact that we have a sensitized structure right under that IT band just before it inserts at Gertie's tubercle. So that is, I guess, a bit about the anatomy and about what the role of the IT band is. Um, But now let's talk about how you might experience that pain. Now, the number one thing that a runner is going to notice is they're going to be getting pain when they're running or walking downhill. And as I said before, particularly from heel contact to mid, or sorry, initial contact to mid stance. So when we're bending that knee, just that first 10 to 20 degrees of flexion is when you're going to get that most load. And... I think it's a pretty it's a pretty common running injury and it's I guess when we think about what is on the side of the knee there's not heaps out the side of our knee so if we are getting pain at the side of our knee um, it's very likely to be ITB syndrome especially if you are getting pain going downhill it's almost always going to be that IT band that is causing you some distress now I would very much recommend if you are getting pain in this position to seek help from a from a professional because even though I can give you this advice over the podcast, it's not individualized. I don't know you. I haven't asked questions. And when someone comes in and they tell me that they get pain at the side of the knee, I don't just say, hey, you've got ITB syndrome. You need to do this. There's so much more data that I would need to gather to give them an individualized plan to combat this injury. So I guess 
I just want you guys to know that the advice I'm giving is quite generalized and it is still really important you seek help because there are other things that do need to be ruled out. And the main one would be a stress fracture. And that could be, um, at, uh, you know, our lateral femoral condyle, which would be really important to rule out because if we do have a stress fracture, uh, that can be quite sinister and we do need to really dramatically change how we would manage that compared to ITV syndrome. So please, please, please um, get it checked out. Uh, it could also be pain coming from your lower back. You know, we could get some nervy type uh, pain, which is referring, you know, there could be a few other red flaggy things there. So, you know, if you're getting any pins and needles, numbness, any um, night pain or any just pain at rest, that's definitely something that's a bit more uh, worth seeing a health professional or just in general, if you want to get the best help, see somebody. Okay. But you guys get the picture. You know, it's not individualized. I don't think anyone listening to this is going to think, oh, this is all I have to do. I don't need to see anyone for help. Surely not. Surely you guys all know how it works. But anyway, moving on from that, putting that aside, we know what it is. We know where it occurs. We know why we know, uh, sorry, when you're going to get it running downhill. Um, you might, uh, typically this thing, it sort of ramps up as we run. Um, there may be a bit of a warm up effect as well. Sometimes it's a bit stiff and sore, particularly first thing in the morning. Um, like you might find getting out of bed. It's like, oh, it's a bit stiff going downstairs to make your first cup of coffee in the morning. You're like, oh gosh, this knee feels like stiff and sore. Um, and then it might warm up a little bit better, but then usually as you run, it just sort of gets worse and worse as you run. So it doesn't follow that nice sort of tender up with your pattern where it just warms up and feels better. Often just gets worse when you run. Um, but there will be a bit of variation in that. But mostly downhill is going to be the most um, of an issue. The other thing that we see quite common is for trail runners, they tend to get it um, running on quite sort of narrow trails. Now, what I'm going to um, go through now is why you might get it and what are some of the risk factors for ITB pain. Firstly, there are lots of things and it is going to be a little bit different to everyone, but there's definitely some key things that stand out when we examine the literature or we go through what the most current scientific evidence is to, to say. So firstly, a dramatic increase in running volume. Now, this is one for literally every single running injury, which is almost frustrating, right? Because it's like, oh my goodness, like, these are just the basic principles of like every running program ever is like, it needs to be graded. There needs to be recovery. There needs to be rest. And wow, if we could just get that load uh, right, then we just basically shouldn't run into any injuries. But obviously it is more nuanced than that. And sometimes we have little weak spots or blind spots and, you know, these things happen. Don't beat yourself up if you've, you know, fallen into that too much too soon category. These things happen to the best of us. But that is a big one, increasing your running volume. Um, now, it may not just be increasing your overall distance running or your or your time on legs or maybe your long run increase. It might just be changing the type of running you've been doing quite dramatically. You might have increased your trail running or you might have increased your downhill running. And in fact, those are two ones that are going to really stand out because we do often see this condition in trail runners and is a bit more common in trail runners. And the idea behind that is that trail runners are often on very narrow paths and they tend to land with their feet one in front of the other rather than a little bit wider, which you might be able to do on a footpath or a track or wherever else you run. So that is something else which we see in runners with uh, 
ITB syndrome is a narrow step width or a crossover step pattern. So that means if I were to draw a line on the ground, a runner would basically run on that line and they'd almost cross over, like their feet would almost cross over or like, you know, as close to that line as possible or actually crossing over. So either really narrow or a crossover type step pattern, which is definitely not something what I would recommend. Now, funny story. Well, not that funny, but over the weekend, I actually got a bit of ITB pain, pain, ITB pain, which I hadn't had in years. And what did I do over the weekend? I ran a trail around 50 Ks in the bush. I had not run uh, over 50 Ks. I hadn't run over 25 Ks for a couple of years. And I just did a 50 K run. And there was also quite a long downhill section. I ran really hard on that downhill section and yeah, towards that second half of the race on the downhill, I started feeling this IT bend or this pain on the outside of my knee. And a few things to note there. One, big increase in distance. I hadn't run that far for a long time. Two, running the bush. I had not run in the bush for maybe six weeks because I had this injury. So I hadn't been doing any bush running. Um, I hadn't been doing any hill running and downhill, long downhill. I hadn't run downhill. And what I noticed after the race is I had chafed inner knees. Like I literally chafed on my, the insides of my knees, which basically confirms that I had such a narrow um, gait pattern, so narrow, I'm sure I would have been crossing over. So I like ticked every single one of those boxes to basically getting ITB pain. ITB pain. I had narrow step width. I increased my volume and I was running downhill and running quite hard downhill. I was running as hard as I could downhill because I knew I would have to walk on the uphill because of my hamstring. So yeah, I really ticked those boxes and I just thought it was quite appropriate and almost nice that I got this little bit of IT band pain. I was like, Hey, I'm like really ticking all the boxes here. Anyway, that is just my own little anecdote. It's all settled down now because I have rested and recovered and done all those things that you should do. But I just wanted to mention that in there. So that is our um, narrow, 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 narrow. How do you say that? Narrow step width or crossover step width. Uh, now, in the research, they talk as well about when we have the most sort of stress for our IT band and they talk about having an sort of increased Uh, knee internal rotation during stance phase and increased hip adduction. So basically that means that our knee is really close to our other knee. So you could imagine me getting my knee chafed. My knees were very close together. Um, And that could be a few things. So that could mean that you are crossing over, or it could mean that you're getting a bit of hip drop, which frequently happens when we've got a bit of either weakness in our contralateral hip. So our hip on the other side is a little bit weak. And so due to, let's say the left side is a bit weak, the right hip will drop down when we run. And due to that drop, we will get uh, the opposite knee caving in. And we call that a hip drop. And yeah, it can be due to weakness in that hip. It could be a bit of a motor control issue. Um, like a technique, more a technique thing that just needs to be practiced or just that true strength deficit. So that's what they found in the literature. Um, The other one that they found is a bit of internal rotation throughout tibia. Uh, And then what was the other one? I couldn't actually find the paper on this, but I'm I'm sure I've heard Rich Wheelie talk about contralateral uh, hip flexor tightness. So 
Let's say you get the IT band pain on your left outer knee, your right hip might be a little bit tighter, your anterior hip. Um, and that's just something that I believe has been an associate associative factor, not necessarily causative. Um, but I think the main things that I want you to take out of this is an increase in running volume, an increase in downhill running. And if you're someone who has a really narrow step width or potentially a weak sort of gluteal, uh, a weak glute in your mid stance position or just weak glutes in general, uh, you might be more likely to get this condition. Okie doke. So now that you've got an idea of what causes it and how it happens, uh, let's talk about what we can do about it. Now, for me, when I had this condition, I saw lots of different people and pretty much the answer was always glute strength, glute strength, glute strength. And it was very frustrating because I was doing all these clamshells, all these side leg raises. Uh, I was also very strong. Like most of my training was gym training. Like I was doing a bit of running, but I was mostly in the gym. Like I did a mixture of um, functional group training, but that was a couple of times a week. And then the rest of my training was like heavy loaded strength stuff, which is really supported in the literature to be very good for runners, building strong quads, glutes, hammies, calves, all those things. And I was doing them, but I was still not getting any better. And pretty much the answer that everyone said is like, keep strengthening your glutes. Um, and I even like, I remember going in, this guy was like, let's try like a single leg squat. It's like, oh, look, your hips dropping. Like, this must be the issue. Like, we've just got to keep getting you stronger, do more glute stuff. And like, it was very frustrating because whenever I did my strengthening, I was actually stronger on the side that I was getting pain. So I was like, this just does not make sense. Like, I'm stronger on this side. Like, how am I still getting pain? And I I would say that to the people. I'm like, I can do like a hundred bloody clamshells. I can do a single leg squat. I can do a pistol squat. I can do a back squat. Like I'm doing all these things and I'm still getting pain. So for me, what I really needed is a more individualized treatment approach to look at a few other things, which I eventually figured out on my own going through the research and just understanding more about uh, volume management Uh, Because for me, my deficit was not so much strength. Mine was more biomechanical. Mine was my really narrow step width. And something else which I learned about is my cadence. So I actually played around with that. And something that we know as well is that our cadence really can affect how much load we place on our knee. Now, cadence, if you don't know what it is, is how many steps you take per minute. And it is something that... Some people pay a lot of attention to, some people don't. There's been research which has shown optimal cadence for the most energy efficient or most uh, economical running form would be around 180. Unfortunately, that was in more elite athletes. And I would say that there is just too many factors uh, to really say that there is one optimal cadence for um, everyone. And we also have to consider that elite runners are running a lot faster than the average person. So I think from my experience, I would say anything from 165 up is a really great cadence, depending on where you're running, the train you're running on. If you know, you're going around corners and you're slowing down up and down hills, your cadence tends to drop down a little bit because you might stop or pause or um, 
yeah, ease up, change your gait pattern a little bit just to navigate some uneven terrain or a corner. Uh, but if you're running on smooth surfaces, you're probably going to be hitting more around that 170, 175, 180 um, pretty comfortably. But guys, remember, there should be an individualized approach to this. If you're a bit taller, a bit shorter, uh, it's going to change a bit. But cadence really affects how we tolerate and how we accept loads. And what we found in the research is that when we increase our cadence, we tend to shift the forces away from our knee and a little bit more down to our feet and ankles. So we can never get rid of forces. There's no way to just magically get rid of them, even if we wear a really cushioned shoe or run on the grass or run on soft surfaces. We still are exposed to the same surfaces. They just get moved and shifted into different areas in our body. But if we are getting knee pain, something we can do very easily is increase our cadence, which will shift some forces away from our knee. Um, now that's not to say that that is the only thing. And again, I would recommend getting some advice that is individualized because there are a few cases where increasing the cadence might not be beneficial if you've already got quite a high cadence, um, or maybe you've got some foot pathology or things going on your ankle and increasing that cadence might actually overload, um, some conditions down there. But for the most part, if you've got some knee things going on, typically increasing our cadence is going to reduce forces on our patellofemoral joint and on our whole knee as a total. As a total? On our knee as a whole is what I was trying to say. So coming back to what we can do about this condition. First thing is load management. Okay. Um, we need to stop doing too much volume. So there's always got to be a period of letting your condition settle down, letting your symptoms settle down whilst we restore some load capacity, build you back up, get you stronger, and then return you to running in a graded and progressive way. So a big mistake that I made going back to my story is I let my pain go away. I did all my strength stuff at the gym I was, I was loading myself. I was doing the right strength things. I was strengthening my glutes and strengthening my quads, which is really important for IT band pain, which I'm going to mention a little bit after when I go through some exercises you can do at home or at the gym. Um, but yeah, I was doing my strength work. But when I came back to running, because I felt quite strong and I had good cardiovascular fitness, I was swimming, I was using the rower at the gym, I was using the bike at the gym, I was doing lots of uh, gym-based cardio, swimming, all my strength program. I felt quite confident and strong to just run. And I remember... Pretty much all of my first runs back were like 20K runs and some of them were on the hills. Some of them were like mixture of terrains um, and they weren't like particularly fast. They weren't particularly slow. They were just like some somewhat like semi cruisy run pace. Uh, but yeah, it was always just like, all right, let's just test out the knee and I just go and run 20Ks and I hadn't run for like a year and you know, I was like, well, that feels fine. Like I'm not physically tired. My heart rate's not like, I feel fine. Like that just felt comfortable. And I was like, sweet, my knee's good. Next day, go for another 20K run. Next day, do this. Like I, I just more or less like went from zero to a hundred straight away. And I'd run for a couple of weeks, maybe get to like a month. And I was like, yeah, like my knee's fixed. Everything's good. And then of course the knee would start maybe six weeks, maybe two months. And then I'd sort of battle with it a bit on and off. I'd have a week off, I'd come back. And me looking at that now, I'm just like, oh my goodness, why did no one ask me what my return to run program looked like? Like, I just can't believe that no one said, hey, uh, okay, yes, you've got this knee pain and let's do some strength tests. Let's look at your range of motion. Let's look at this. 
but what about your run program? Like, I just can't believe that that was just never considered. And now if I were to ever have anyone come in with, to see me at work and, and be like, all right, I've got this knee pain. The first thing I'm going to do is look at their training diary and see what's going on. And I know that if you increase your volume super rapidly, if you go from zero to a hundred, your body has no time to adapt. Even if you cardiovascularly have the fitness and two, have the strength, you might be strong in your glutes, your quads, your hammies, everything, but your body is not used to the repetitive nature of running. Running is so repetitive. It's so monotonous. Every single step is almost the same. And if we are not really conditioned, if the structures, if the tissue structures in our body are not conditioned to that, they're going to get over it and sick of it and play up and get angry and pissed off pretty bloody quickly. It might not happen on the first run. It might not happen after a week, but it's going to happen at some point. If you keep pushing that, you might feel fine. You might not feel physically tired, um, but it doesn't mean that your body is conditioned to the monotonous nature and the repetitive nature of running. Okay. It's a very repetitive sport, step after step, same thing. So I guess first thing in the treatment is load management. We need to strip you back, let your knee settle down, and then we need to return you to running in a gradual way. The best way to do this would be, depending on where you're at, a walk run program where you walk and run. (laughs) I mean, obviously, Uh, and that's going to be individualized to you. The other way you could do it would be by splitting up your run volume. So let's say you normally do three 20K runs per week. Let's make it six 10K runs. Or let's say um, split up, split it up even further, like do a couple of 5K runs and then a couple of 10K runs. So really try and increase your running frequency, but drop the running volume. So you're just giving yourself little bits of dosage of running, but spread out, like really spread out throughout the week. Okay, so that's the load management side of it. Now, there's lots of different ways, as I said, to manage load and it is it will need to be individualized to you because you might um, have another thing that you do. You might be playing tennis on Tuesday night and so you can't do a run before tennis because that's going to affect your tennis or whatever it may be. You might um, have to, I don't know, your work hours might be hectic, blah, blah, blah. So that, that needs to be individualized. But load management is key. Um, next thing, cadence. Increase your cadence. So you can get a metronome app. And you can listen to the metronome and you can try and hit a certain cadence. It will just be like that tick, 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 tick or whatever. Set it for, um, you know, check whatever cadence you're doing on your Garmin app. It will tell you. And then I just try and increase it by five. Don't try and change it dramatically because you could run into some other conditions, but just change it up, step it up just that tiny bit, see how you go. Um, next thing we know that the IT band gets loaded more with downhill running. So what can we do? We can get rid of downhill running just for a short time and focus on running on the flat. Or if you have access to a treadmill, you can run on an uphill, (laughs) which I know for some people they're like, Oh my gosh, you want me to run uphill? Like just continually run uphill. Yep. That's what I'm saying. Now it doesn't have to be a super steep incline. You can set the treadmill just a teeny tiny bit up and that is going to allow you to maintain some running condition, but, uh, no, Oh, sorry. I just banged my knee, uh, but not actually be running in a way that's going to piss off that IT band. Okay. All right. So that is the things that we can sort of do immediately. Uh, I'm just going to recap that increase our cadence, manage our load, which means either well, it means lots of things, but basically a period of deloading relative to you, uh, followed by a period of gradual return to run, uh, progressive, gradual, 
including rest. And typically that will look like breaking your runs up to more frequent runs, but shorter runs. Uh, And then considering your terrain. So avoiding downhills, trying to run on the flat or uphills. Um, Oh, and then one other thing I was going to say, avoiding um, narrow trails. So you might try and find some places where you can run with your feet uh, a little bit wider. Now, it's really awkward to try and think run wide. I've never really thought about that that much. To me, that just seems like too much effort to try and run wide. Um, Mostly, I don't chafe my knees. It seems to only be occasionally on like long runs in the bush. Uh, But if you are super narrow all the time, um, and again, you'd need someone to look at your biomechanics. If you are so super narrow and crossover all the time when you run, then that is definitely something that you need to look at. So that would be, again, individualized. All right, moving on. They're the things you can do right now. Um, exercises and sort of more like other, other things. So this is more strength stuff. Now, when we think about our T band, it starts up at our hip. So there is some gluteal involvement and TFL, and then it goes down to the bottom of our knee. So strengthening through our glutes is a really big part of IT band, uh, rehab. And also the end stage of that is going to be looking at restoring plyometric capacity in our IT band or our knee. So at the start, I explained what the role of the IT band is, and it actually maintains our knee position and it resists frontal load or lateral load. So we need to restore that um, energy storage capacity of that IT band. And we need to increase our gluteal strength. So these are the things that they found in the literature, glute strengthening and restoring the plyometric capacity in that IT band. So that's what they found. Now, at the very start, when your knee is sore, okay, you might be sore even walking downstairs. I would get you off doing some things that are not up on your feet. So I would start off with some glute bridges, double leg, single leg, weighted. See if you can really load it up. Um, Things where you're going to be feeling your bottom working. Now, I don't really love the clamshell because I just don't think it's very hard and I don't think it's very functional. I don't think it has much of a transfer to running. When we do a single leg glute bridge, there is a stability component. You have to engage your um, core muscles to help maintain your uh, lumbopelvic position, which has more of a transfer from my perspective and in my experience to a runner. So that is something that I do, a single leg glute bridge. I think that's my favorite exercise. Um, We can also do, I've heard Rich really talk about doing a Thomas test exercise, which is basically holding your knee to your chest, lying on your back. Now, so your left knee is at your chest, your right knee is long and straight. Wiggle your bottom all the way to the edge of the bed and let your right knee hang over the bed and gently bend it and straighten it. If you're really tender in that position, probably don't do this one because it's too tender. But over time, that should feel a little bit easier. Now, that's a new exercise. I actually haven't done that one before with patients, but that's one that I heard Rich really talking about quite recently. And I was like, ooh, I'm going to try that. And it makes a lot of sense. So um, you could give that a go. Uh, And you also could just focus on your glute bridges. I think glute bridges are a really great way to go. All right, you've uh, progressed beyond that. It's time to get you up and doing some harder, heavier loaded exercises. My favorite, or I'm going to give you two favorites. Uh, one, a single leg sit to stand, and this is going to really target your glute max and your glute med. So one leg out straight, that's your resting leg, and the other leg is going to control you from a standing position down to a chair and standing back up again. So it's a single leg squat onto a chair. 
Now, the next one, which is really, really good is your split squat. And that is with your rear foot elevated onto a bench or a chair and your front foot out in like a lunge position. And you're just going to squat up and down. And your idea is to really sit back on your back leg because you're really trying to load your back leg. Okay. It's about the back leg, which is working. All right. So a little bit different to your traditional Bulgarian or your other split squat where you're loading your front leg. This is about the back leg. So they are my two favorite exercises once you're at that point. Um, uh, Beyond that, you're going to be at your end stage, which is more the plyometrics. And that's where you essentially are just trying to restore that energy, energy capacity of that IT band or or your lateral structure. So what we need to do is come back to the role of that band, which is energy storage and release in that lateral or frontal plane. So skater hops would be my favorite exercise where you're literally uh, jumping from one side to the other and you're trying to really load laterally and resist that lateral load. Now, when I do this exercise, it's not skater hops for time, like doing it for 60 seconds, bounding side to side. It is all about pushing as hard as you can from one side to the other side and sticking that landing. Okay. So maintaining that position, I would do no more than oh, absolute most would be like 10 reps, but I would do five reps, really push as hard as you can and try and maintain that position, get that form perfect, have a break. So five reps, three to five rounds, really make it, uh, you know, the most intense version of that exercise rather than just bouncing back and forth, getting a bit of a burn in your quads and your glutes. Okay. Plyometric power needs to be high intensity with big bouts of rest. Um, so that's the exercise point. Uh, just, I should have said as well, when we're doing our split squats and our sit to stands, they need to be heavy loaded. Okay. Really loading heavy. So we know that in the literature to build true strength, we need heavy weight and low reps. So I'm talking six to up to eight at the most repetitions and really loading heavy. So grab some dumbbells, grab some barbells, grab whatever you've got and let's load it up. Okay. There's no point doing 20 reps of that because you're just not going to get the benefit. All right. Uh, And that's that. So they're the exercises. You've got some gluteal strengthening and when you're ready, some plyometric work. But the things that you can do straight away are going to be your cadence check, load management, um, changing your train up or downhill and considering your step width. Okay. So that is the, I guess, the recap of ITBM. ITB pain, ITB syndrome. Um, It's a little bit about what it is, about why you get it and what you can do about it from a practical standpoint. We've got some things that you can do straight away and some things that you can do for more long-term strengthening. I should say too that those strength exercises are fantastic exercises for any runner and they could be helpful for you to improve your running economy even if you don't have pain. And they could be beneficial for you to improve your performance. If you can improve your running economy, you're going to improve your performance. So goodness, I feel like we've got a lot there for you to get started with. Uh, If you've got pain right now, you, yeah, there's something you can do right away um, to help you get out of pain. I'm so excited to share that with you. Thank you so much if you made it all the way to the end. Every time I do a solo app, I'm like, all right, I'm going to get this out in 20 minutes. I'm going to make it really concise to the point, not waste any time. And then all of a sudden it's like almost an hour later and I'm still rambling on. So I hope you got something out of that. And in fact, no, 
I know you would have gotten something out of that because you're still here at the end. So you were listening, you were here for it, and I'm so excited. So thank you so much for being a part of the journey. If you have any questions about that, if you want me to send you any research, if you want me to send you any videos or um, pictures or like any anything in more detail of those exercises, let me know because I really, truly am here to help. I'm going to be honest, I'm not the fastest replier over message. I will probably reply to you quicker if you send me an audio message. So I would love an audio message. I will probably reply to that a lot faster. Or alternatively, if you want to come and see me in the clinic, I practice at the running room and I move. So I'm based at Clavelli a few days a week and at Roselle um, on the other days of the week. And I love treating runners. That is my favorite thing. Uh, I can get you on the treadmill. We can have a look at how you're running, assess your biomechanics, see if you've got that crossover pattern. And I have a little sneaky discount for you. If you're a Stronger Stride listener, you just need to book and pop in Stronger Stride in the cart, in the cart. It won't, uh, is it a cart or like a little note section? And you will get the first two sessions for uh, more than half price. So $60 for the first two sessions, which is um, the, the best deal actually we have <laughs> the best deal ever. Um, but yeah, guys, this episode is not really, it's not meant to be a sales pitch. Honestly, just send me a message and I am happy to give you some help and advice because I just think running is fantastic. And I think everyone should be able to run and gosh, I can't believe how long I struggled with this injury myself and how frustrating it was. I never, I it just took me so long to get a handle on. And I just can't believe how much time I could have been progressing my running and enjoying running. Yet I was just like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth and never really got it sorted. So guys, don't be that person. Don't delay getting help. If you need help, reach out, ask. Um, there's some really simple things you can do to make a big difference. And it doesn't have to be that hard. It doesn't have to take up that much time. Um, but the body's adaptable. The body recovers. You don't have to have a chronic injury. It just does not have to happen. So yeah, that is it. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, yeah, we have an episode out every week. So hopefully you enjoyed today. And uh, if not, we've got another cracker episode coming out next week. In fact, we've got so many cracker episodes coming up. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned. Uh, as always, don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, like, show, blah, 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 all those good things. Oh yeah, share the show. Share the show to your friends. Share it on Instagram, share it on Facebook. However you like to share it, tell someone that you're listening. We love that. And what else do we love? Just good vibes. Come for a run with Sofari. We would love to join you. Um, I'm based in the East. So if you're ever going for a run in the East, hit me up. I'm keen. Don't invite me for a run that's like a five-hour drive. Oh, in fact, you know, if it's a nice place... Yeah, if it's a nice if it's a nice place, I'll probably come. Um, yeah, invite me for a run. I would love to run with you and chat to you about running injuries or just running in general. Um, and that is it, guys. Have a fantastic Sunday if you're listening on Sunday. And yeah, that's it. Stay well and thanks for listening. Ciao.